is the work. I just wanted to remind you of that this week. Um, if you have an opportunity to, to pray this week, either by yourself, with someone else from the church, if you have Christians that you work with, join together in your workplace and pray, even if they're not Baptists, they're fellow Christians. All right, Luke chapter 12 from verse 13. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, with, for I have no, nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You might remember this man when Dylan gets my slide up for me. <laughs> He's coming. All right. You might remember this man. You might know him. Perhaps you might know him better as this man, Steve Jobs, the chairman, CEO of... of and co-founder of Apple. He's also the chairman and majority shareholder, or was, the majority shareholder of Pixar and a member of the Walt Disney Company Board of Directors. Steve Jobs, as, long, uh, as well as his, his co-founder, uh, Steve Wozniak, widely recognised as pioneers of the microcomputer age from the 70s up until now. Jobs was born in San Francisco in California to parents who put him up for adoption at birth. And he dropped out of college in 1972 and, and thought it better to go and travel India to seek enlightenment. Steve Jobs was bankruptcy and, and he had a large part in designing the iMac, as I said, iTunes, i iTunes Store, Apple Store, iPod, iPhone, iPad, and the App Store. He had an obsession with i, didn't he? <laughs> Unfortunately, Jobs was diagnosed with pancreatic a, a pancreatic tumour in 2003 and died on the, the 5th of October 2011 at age 56. 
At the time of his death, he was worth a whopping $10.2 billion. I assume that's US. Now, this morning, in no way do I want to infer that Steve Jobs died without knowing God. And I don't want to infer that he was the rich fool in our parable this morning. I'm not making a judgment on Steve Jobs. It's simply an illustration. What I want to do, what I do want to emphasise is that no matter how rich you might be, you can't take anything with you when you die. The opening demand from, from the person in the crowd asking Jesus to act as judge or arbiter over the case of the two brothers who can't get along after the death of their father. It serves to transition our theme from public witness in Luke chapter 10 and up to this, up to this point in verses 9, 8 through to, to 12 as well in Luke 12. And it transitions our theme from authentic public witness to the theme of possessions or money, riches. And this parable serves to do two things, to bring to, to the surface the issue of greed and to show the anxiety that we sometimes experience related to our long-term security. Particularly, we'll see that next week in next week's passage as well. This parable tells us to beware of greed, to put put our trust in God, to put him first in good times when blessings are plentiful. Jesus is teaching his disciples on the on the hillside as he quite often did with surrounding crowds probably numbering in the thousands and he says in verse 1 of chapter 12 he says beware of the leaven of the pharisees which is hypocrisy this warning to take care of the leaven of the, beware of the leaven of the pharisees follows on with Beware, be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, as we see in verse 15. With the question from the crowd, Jesus uses this tragic parable to teach his disciples and the crowd about their attitude on money. The first thing that we see about our rich man is that he never saw beyond himself. Have a look at verses 17, 18 and 19. Count how many times I occurs in, that, in those sentences. Not the letter I, but the word I. Let's read it. Verses 16, 17, 18. No, 17, 18, 19. The rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
be Mary. This rich man never gave thought to anyone or anything beyond himself. He never gave thought to, to perhaps share some of his abundance of blessings, of his crops. Now, I mentioned last week that agricultural analogies or imagery is quite common in Scripture, and you can see that here as another example of that. And in Jesus' time, when he was here physically on the earth, crops and grain were essentially as good as money. If you had lots of grain, you could sell it, you could eat it, life was good. And our rich man has a good year where he produced a bumper crop. His land produced a bumper crop. But it was for all, all for the rich man. He didn't think to share it with the um, traveller or the poor or even with his neighbour. You can see in Leviticus 23 verse 22 that sharing an and not keeping everything for ourselves is prescribed for the Israelites in their early days. It says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather your gl the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now try as we might, to avoid good years or financial blessing, sometimes it just comes our way. God, out of his good pleasure and his good will, sometimes blesses us with financial blessing. Whether it be from the sale of a house, family inheritance, a business that does really well, or, or just working hard and being savvy with your money, or a bumper crop. Sometimes we are blessed financially, aren't we? What we do with that blessing really counts. That really shows where our priorities are, who or what we worship. Friday morning I got an email from Crossway and in it was an article from Paul Tripp. He says these words, Money is an accurate window on what is truly important to us. It exposes the fact that this side of eternity, it is really hard to hold in our hearts as important what God says is truly important. There is a dangerous tendency in each of our hearts to assign increasing importance to things beyond their true importance or value. These things begin to command the thoughts, desires and allegiance of our hearts. If you're humbly willing to look, your desires for and use of money will help you see what is battling for the rulership of your heart. You might have heard it said that, that money is the root of all evil. I don't think money's the problem. I think you and I are. More specifically, our attitude towards money, financial blessing, possessions in general, is what the problem is. 
if our only thought of, of what to spend our income on or how to use our possessions is on ourselves, then we have a problem. If you acknowledge God as the one who provides for your every need and for your family, yet are unwilling to give generously when he asks, you have an issue. You might, might be thinking, I, I haven't heard God to ask me to give more than what I'm already giving. really listening to God or are you just hearing what you think you might like to hear I'm not just talking about what goes in the the little red velvet bags at the front here when we collect an offering I'm speaking about generosity in general God was to prompt you to to rent out a room in your house to someone in need would you do it if God was prompting you to lend your car to someone who was in need, would you do it? Because it's just a possession. Would you be hesitant because their driving record may not be real good? Or is it just because you love your car too much? Have a manual just in case you're going to ask me to borrow my car this week <laughs> and it's a big four-wheel drive as well John Wesley a composer of many hymns with his brother Charles his rule of life was to save all that he could and give all that he could when he was at, at Oxford in the in the UK he he had an income of 30 pounds per year. And he lived on 28 pounds per year, gave away the remaining two. When his income increased to 60 pounds, to 90 pounds, and to 120 pounds, he still lived on 28 pounds per year and gave the rest away. As a minister, he was accountable to the accountant general for household plate. What a position. What do you do? I'm the accountant general for household plate. He had a request. John Wesley had a request from this accountant general uh, for his household items. And Wesley's reply was, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate that I have, and I shall not buy any more. Not while so many around me hunger for bread. What is your attitude towards your money, your possessions? Is it a healthy one? Is it one where you know that God has provided your every need? And your generosity reflects that? Is your attitude one that reflects that you consider others as more or, or even just as much as important as you consider yourself?
Second thing that our rich man does is that he never acknowledged God as his provider. In fact, he doesn't acknowledge God at all. I mentioned last week that that we used to live out in St. George. And um, for a number of years, I worked on a farm, a cotton farm, wheat farm and, and beef, all in the one place. And one year we had a, a wonderful season for planting wheat. There was enough rain, enough moisture in the ground, so the, the owner decided we'd plant 4,500 acres of dry land wheat and 500 acres of, of irrigated wheat. And I spent a lot of time on a tractor going up and back, up and back. From sometimes from 6 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, Jody would bring the girls down and we'd have dinner on the tractor going up and back. <laughs> and this wheat crop sprouted and looked wonderful, lush and green. And it started to ripen and it goes that golden brown colour, such a beautiful colour. And then one night I had a dream and... This, in this dream, I was heading out to the paddocks of, of this beautiful, lush grain ready for harvest. And there'd been a storm during the night, and it, it was all flattened and ruined, absolutely wrecked. And in that, not in an audible way, but in a, in a way that I could understand, God said to me, I'm the one who causes the growth. I am the one who causes the, the seed to germinate, to cause the plant to, to grow ears of grain. Because my attitude was, I planted this grain, I was watching it grow, I was going to be the one who, who drove the harvester for many hours and, and it was going to make me look good because my boss would give me a good pay rise and all that sort of thing. But... It, occurred to me that it wasn't about me at all. And it's the same with our rich man. It is God who gives. And it is God who can also take away. God is the one who allows us to have financial blessing. God is also the one who allows financial scarcity to mould us and shape us, to grow us, to increase our trust in him, to, to create us more and more like Christ, to make us more and more like Christ. God is the one who uses financial scarcity to, to see if we really trust him with our whole life. If we proclaim with our mouth that we trust God with our whole lives and, and then try and hold tight to our riches, isn't this the highest form of hypocrisy? If we claim as Christians to be ones who, who believe that God supplies our every need, then we try as hard as we might to subtly feather our own kingdom our own nest here on earth. 
sadly, if we deny that God is our creator, our provider, our redeemer, like the rich man did, then we're heading for the same destination as the rich man. The third thing that the rich man does is he never saw beyond this world. There was a man who wanted to be buried with all of his money, all of his possessions, so that he could drive around in the next life in his Bentley. He made this request in his will that he would be buried with all of his possessions, all of his money. And just as the coffin was being lowered into the ground, the wife halted the service and she, she came and laid a briefcase on the coffin. Lowered into the ground, he was buried. Her friends were shocked that she would actually do this because the, the man was just a, a grumpy, cruel old man. One of her friends leaned over and said, are you sure that was the right thing to do? Did you really do that? And she said, yeah, yeah. It was his dying request. I wrote him a check. (laughs) But try as we might, we can't take anything with us into eternal life, can we? We can build ourselves up a a mighty, mighty kingdom here on this earth. We can build up possessions and money and make life comfortable, have an easy retirement, go on cruises. But the one thing for certain is that that it amounts to nothing when our physical life is taken away from us and we stand before God. Our rich man never gave thought to what would happen when his life ended. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? When you see the word fool, usually denotes that that they're a person who who doesn't give God a second thought. And who doesn't give God a second thought in that they will one day stand before him. This verse here, Psalm 53 verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Atheists in the UK used this, this on, a, on a bus. It said, the Bible says there is no God. Oh, gee, the irony. Our rich man was a fool and he neglected to think about what his eternal destination was going to be. He had his whole life planned out and yet he neglected the weightier issue of eternity
Again, Paul Tripp says these words, The existence of eternity tells us that since this life is not a destination, but a preparation for a final destination, we are not, not meant to use our resources to turn now into as much of a paradise as we can afford. The goal of every moment is more than personal happiness, it's growth in holiness. What would it look like to spend your money with that in view? That was his question. So in light of this parable, what are we to do? What should our rich man have done? Instead of building bigger barns, our rich man should have built a bigger table. In this life, we're either a container or a conduit for blessing. Container, a Tupperware container holds things, doesn't it? You put a lid on it once you've found the lid in the cupboard <laughs> and it holds stuff, it holds things tight. Whereas a conduit, a conduit is like a pipeline where blessings flow through. Either we want our money to stop with us or we, and we have conceived many ways to keep it, to make our life better, to make our life more pleasurable, easier. Or we think of our life as a pipeline, both with our financial blessings and our spiritual blessings as well. That the money that we've been given can bless others and benefit the lives of others. Either our money is the, the currency that's, that pays the bills for our small kingdom, or it is a God-given tool in our hands for participating in the big-picture work of the kingdom of God. Are you a container of financial spiritual blessings, possessions? Or are you a conduit through which flows physical and spiritual blessings to others? I don't want you to leave from here this morning saying, I must do better. I've got to do more with my money. No. I want you to change your attitude towards your money towards God's money that he has given you. I want you to change your attitude and, and be generous. Don't, don't do generosity, but be generous. Not just with your money, your finances, but with your time, your possessions, your car, your house, your food that's in your cupboard, whatever it might be. Be generous. And when you're asked why you're so generous, you can say that God was generous when he gave Jesus in order to redeem me from my sins. And so I'm just following his example. Don't be like the rich man in the parable who fails to acknowledge God. 
who fails to acknowledge God as his creator, as his provider and as his, as his redeemer, who fails to consider anyone other than himself and who never gave eternity a second thought. This life is not all there is, folks. We're headed for a, a paradise far beyond what this life can ever look like. There are pre some pretty nice places in this world, aren't there? But heaven's going to look so much better than that. He will be our richest treasure. Don't be like the rich man. Be generous 